the murky world of doping, Russia, and its encounter with the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Please um, welcome to the latest Three Hair Court Sports Law uh, podcast. I'm Daniel Black, a barrister here at Three Hair um, Chambers. And today we're going to be having a discussion with um, Julia Lewis, another barrister here, who's taken a deep dive into the Court of Arbitration for Sport's recent um, decision in these matters. So, without further ado, I'll hand over uh, to Julia now. Good morning, Daniel. Good to speak to you. So, thank you um, for that introduction. Yeah, so this morning we're going to have a look at the case of WADA versus Rusada, which was the decision of the Court of Arbitration for Sport in December um, of 2020. And the judgment was published on 14th of January, so just a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and just to give a bit of background to, to this, um, the proceedings were brought before CAS following a decision by the World Anti-Doping Agency, so WADA, in 2019 uh, to declare the Russian Anti-Doping Agency, RUSADA, non-compliant with the WADA 2018 International Standard for Code Compliance, and that's the ISCCS, um, following the previous suspension of RUSADA. And the background to that, um, dates back to the scandal, which I'm sure listeners will be very familiar with, at least on a sort of superficial level, um, surrounding systemic state-sponsored doping and um, a very um, sophisticated cover-up at the 2014 Sochi Olympic and Paralympic Games. And that itself was exposed in a series of investigations and reviews between 2015 and 2016. Uh, in 2015, there was an independent review into doping practices, which implicated Russia, um, the Moscow laboratory, which is really at the heart of um, the CAS case, and RUSADA. And in 2015, WADA declared RUSADA non-compliant with the World Anti-Doping Code and suspended the WADA accreditation of the Moscow lab. In May 2016, allegations emerged about a very sophisticated, as I say, state-sponsored doping program in Russian sport. And there was a further investigation, which was the McLaren report, which resulted in findings that there had been extensive and intricate tampering with samples, enabling doped athletes to participate in the Sochi Olympics and Paralympics. Now, there were two methods used. The first was a disappearing positive methodology, which caused positive test results to disappear from the Moscow Labs um, Laboratory Information Management System called LIMS and from WADA's ADAMS database where all the sample results are recorded for athletes um, worldwide. And the second method was um, sample swapping whereby sample bottles were passed through um, mouse holes which had been drilled in the lab walls and were then replaced with other urine samples kind of from the other side, passed back with clean samples. And um, for anyone that wants to know a bit more about that, I would highly recommend the film Icarus. Um, I don't know, Daniel, if you're familiar, but um, it really exposes all of this. And it's, it's absolutely mind blowing that the scale of, of what happened at the Sochi Olympics. Yeah, I've not, I've not seen it, actually, but um, I was reading uh, about this before we started talking. I mean, it just it, it almost sounds like stuff like a spy movie, what was going on. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is like I say, it's mind blowing. It's surprising. I think any time you hear about this this Russian stuff, and and for some reason it's still surprising. But um, yeah, I mean, it was really going on, and definitely one for for Friday night viewing. I'd recommend. Well, I was going to say fair play, which is my stock reaction to movie recommendations, but it's probably ill fitting um, in this context. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, but so um, after the, those scandals came came out in the 2015 and 2016. Um, as I say, Rizad was suspended, um, but one of the criteria for their reinstatement by Wadra in September 2018 was that the Russian government had to provide access to all of the stored urine samples in the Moscow lab for all the sample analyses from 2011 to 2015. And that LIMS data had to be provided by the end of 2018. Now there was an um, ensuing delay, inevitably, and in January 2019, the WADA experts were finally permitted to enter the Moscow lab where those copies of the LIMS data were held. And um, following some further delay with other samples in April of 2019, samples that had been in storage were sent to WADA. And on analysis of those um, samples and the Moscow lab data, WADA found that the Moscow data had been, again, um, subject to significant alteration and tampering, including backdating of records, disk formatting, erasure of files, and deletion of records. And that's the, um, the scandal which has given rise to these particular proceedings, because as a result of that, WADA imposed um, a number of extensive sanctions on RUSADA under the 2018 ISCCS, that code. And those sanctions um, were to apply for a four-year term and involved um, extensive prohibition on hosting, bidding for, or competing in the Olympics, the Paralympics, or the Youth Games. And they sought to prohibit all Russian athletes from um, competing, um, whether neutrally or not, unless they could positively prove that they hadn't been implicated in the wrongdoing. Now, it's the validity of those sanctions that Rusada disputed, and that's um, what brought the case to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So then moving on to what actually happened before CAS. Before CAS, there were three main issues and I'll go through each of them in turn. Essentially, they revolved around firstly, the validity of the ISCCS, the 2018 code. Secondly, whether Rusada had actually um, complied with the uh, requirement which had been imposed on it and, and whether that data had been tampered with in the way that WADA had alleged. And thirdly, if, um, if it had been, what sanctions should be imposed and were the sanctions which had been imposed by um, WADA appropriate? So looking at the first of those, the validity of the ISCCS, that, as I say, was introduced by the 2018 World Anti-Doping Code. And there have been a number of um, amendments to the, the World Anti-Doping Code, which was first um, came into force in 2003. And the foundation of that is um, a contractual relationship between the signatories and WADA. So this is what I, I refer to as the contractual question of whether the amendments in the 2018 code were in fact binding on RUSADA. And secondly, whether RUSADA itself as the agency could be held strictly liable for procuring the LIMS data from the Moscow lab to um, WADA because Rosada's argument was that they weren't themselves actually responsible for holding or for getting that data. Um, 
In terms of the, the contractual issue, Rosada's argument was that they weren't bound by the 2018 um, WADC um, introducing the code because they said they hadn't given express consent to the amendments and, and no signatories have done. Um, and in their argument, the amendments amounted to what they said was a paradigm shift compared to the earlier versions of the code. And it, that centered around um, the argument that when um, the, the 2003 code came into force, there were no powers of um, compliance for WADA. WADA didn't have power to impose sanctions. So their argument was that they couldn't now be held to um, a much um, more intrusive almost standard um, simply by not having given consent and by silence. And as I say, also argued that they, in any event, Rusada didn't have access to, they didn't have control over what was happening at the Moscow lab. So they couldn't be held vicariously liable for the acts of third parties who might, in their view, have engaged in wrongdoing. Now those arguments, well, I'd say it is a very lengthy judgment. It's 186 pages, but the um, arguments were given, I'd say pretty short shrift by Cass. Um, they found that Rusada was bound by the code and on the issue of whether silence can amount to um, acceptance, I mean, they found um, in favour of, of Wada's arguments that there were a number of um, behaviours by Rosada, which, whilst not um, being express consent, in a sense, um, showed an intention not to object to the code. So it was relevant. They'd never objected to the, the code um, or to previous amendments. So they agreed that they were bound by the 2015 code. They had also undergone audits under the 2018 code and had essentially only objected to the, the code itself in I think their reply to um, uh, Wada's um, statement of case for the CAS proceedings. So it was really coming like very late in the day. And they had, um, as I say, only only brought that real complaint after sanctions were sought to actually be imposed on them by, by WADA's compliance committee. CAS also took into account on that point um, that WADA had sought the opinion of Jean-Paul Costa, who's a previous uh, head of the European Court of Human Rights, on the code's compatibility with international law and human rights principles. So in, at the time of drafting, they, they'd sought um, advice as to whether holding um, the signatories to compliance would be compatible and found, and he had given the opinion that it was. And in terms of looking at the purpose behind the, the original contract that everyone had signed up to, um, Cass thought it's very important that if Rosada weren't bound, there'd be no certainty as, as to what rules did apply to different signatories. Um, there'd be the possibility that different signatories would have different rules and different potential sanctions applicable and there'd be no level playing field for athletes. So all of that together would undermine the whole purpose of the um, anti-doping code. And that is really significant in this sense, because um, obviously that, that's the whole purpose is to fight against um, doping, to, to give it, as you say, fair play, <laughs> level playing field for athletes. And um, that simply wouldn't be possible if there was a possibility of different signatories to say that, hold on, I haven't signed up to this. Um, and perhaps another signatory has. And in terms of the strict liability of signatories um, for actions of third parties, um, again, Cass's view was that this is necessary to effectively fight against doping and to ensure a level playing field, regardless of individual fault of that particular signatory. So they will be held liable for the um, actions of um, third party agencies and bodies within their jurisdiction, essentially. 
Then, so going on to whether or not Rosada had actually complied with the requirement, um, so whether the data in the Moscow lab had been tampered with, um, the cast judgment, yeah, is pretty damning on this. So they found that the manipulation of the data in limbs by the Moscow lab was, um, quote, breathtaking in its audacity. So going back to what I was saying about what's revealed um, in Icarus, like really kind of showing that the same kind of practices. They said that the manipulation in 2018 to 2019 was carried out in a contrived extortion, extortion scheme, excuse me, to make it look as though previous lab staff, so lab staff in 2015, to make it look as though they had been manipulating data to falsely implicate athletes in doping in order to extort money from them. And then the manipulation had also been carried out to falsely exonerate other lab staff who actually had been responsible um, for the kind of manipulation. And I think looking at the parties involved, they're essentially trying to um, put the blame on um, people who had been whistleblowers and who have spoken out about this and to exonerate others. And then kind of following down that um, route, they found that the, the non-compliance was, um, again, I quote, a crude attempt to cover up the evidence of the scheme which had been revealed in the McLaren report in 2016. But um, when that cover-up began to unravel, rather than come clean, the Russian authorities doubled down and tried to cover up the cover-up. So yeah, it's really an example that um, there's just no kind of acceptance and, and holding up hands that say, okay, that we've been found out and, and now we'll do our best to actually just um, help to, to find out who is responsible to, to prosecute those. It, it is a, a cover-up upon cover-up. So yeah, it's, um, as you say, kind of very akin to a kind of spy, spy scandal in film in that sense. And then the, the third point, so looking at what the sanctions should be, um, this is really a, a pretty interesting part of it, because despite having um, found that there was, say, such extensive um, bad um, behaviour by Russia, um, and, and really like incredibly wide ranging, CAS um, imposed sanctions which were less severe than those which were sought by RADA, WADA, excuse me. So um, again, Rosada brought in arguments here based on human rights law um, and argued that, that WADA was subject to Swiss law. And as a result, the sanctions had to respect fundamental rights, human rights and the principle of proportionality. And um, they argued that the sanctions which had been sought and imposed amounted to collective punishment, which they said was prohibited under international human rights law, um, that they were discriminatory because obviously they only affected Russian athletes and that they were disproportionate. Um, now, CAS accepted some of those arguments to an extent. So um, it's been accepted that the human rights principles do apply, um, that proportionality does um, apply and that the sanctions do have to be proportionate. And they found that they were um, able themselves to consider whether or not the sanctions were proportionate and if they weren't, what the proportionate sanctions should be. On the collective punishment uh, question, uh, they found that there isn't in fact a prohibition on collective punishment, certainly under European human rights law, and that that's really um, a concept which is found in international criminal law um, and, and international humanitarian law, so that that was not an issue. And clearly these are discriminatory in the sense that they do only apply to Russian athletes, but that that was justified. Um, clearly that that's the um, aim is being pursued is to, is to punish Russia. But as I say, although they're at length to stress the seriousness of the non-compliance and the level of fraud, 
um, the sanctions were reduced. So from a period of four years, they were reduced to two years and they did not impose any restrictions on the Youth Olympic Games. So in Cass's view, those restrictions would not have been proportionate um, because they said both that they doubted that anyone in the Youth Olympic Games would have been um, implicated. And they thought essentially that the measures imposed on the um, senior games and, and senior athletes would be um, proportionate to pursue the aim of encouraging the next generation of Russian athletes to compete as clean. So in terms of the main sanctions, the, the prohibitions for two years are on Russia bidding for or hosting the Olympics, the Paralympics or the World Championships. Um, they're prohibited um, from having Russian government reps on boards or commissions of signatories to the WADA code and um, their attendance at events. And athletes cannot compete for Russia. They can't play the national anthem or compete under the Russian flag, but they must compete as neutral athletes. As I say, though, they, they, um, CAS has not required the Russian athletes to positively prove that they weren't implicated. So that um, is uh, a significant um, difference to, to the, um, what was sought by WADA. In terms of the sort of reaction to this um, overall, Sport Integrity Australia has come out and said that they are disappointed um, at the result. Um, their view is that if it is the case that there aren't currently sanctions which can be imposed um, for, for example, a four-year term, then the sport needs to come together and strengthen the anti-doping system and to um, make more severe sanctions available for breach. And they've pointed out that less these uh, restrictions and sanctions are in fact less severe than sanctions which are um, commonly imposed on individual athletes. Rosada have themselves hailed the result as a victory of sort. So I think that, again, maybe gives some kind of um, uh, indication as to whether or not this, this is um, strict enough and, and severe enough. Um, and in particular, um, they've come out and said it's a victory that the, the CAS hasn't limited the rights of clean athletes. They're not appealing the, the remainder of the decision, although um, obviously, and of course, they say they, they don't agree with it. And WADA itself has endorsed the decision, but um, has understandably said that they're disappointed that the restrictions have not been upheld for a four-year period. Julia, thank you for that. I mean, as you say, the, the scale of what's going on seems really staggering. And one of the things that came to mind, actually, when you, when you were speaking about it, um, given, given the scale and given uh, the, the organised nature of these things, was that the punishment dispensation, if we can put it that way, with respect to the youth games uh, and the suggestion that, that it would encourage, you know, those athletes to, to compete cleanly. Yeah. I mean, it, one thing that just I wondered about there was, was whether that could be, could be misguided in the sense that if a regime like this in, in the past has been so centrally directed um, if it can be put that way, then the the dispensation for the youth games may not pay enough attention to the sort of pressure that could come on young athletes, um, you know, as they grow older and things. And despite you know their, their personal integrity, it might not always be a free choice. Um, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Mm, I mean, I think that's a really um, important and valid point in the context of integrity and, and anti-doping in sport and, and recognizing that it's not necessarily um, the individual athlete 
who is, Sonia, as you say, choosing to, to compete in this way, I think, especially when you've got state-sponsored programs like this, um, it's it's in some ways a sort of safeguarding issue that, that athletes coming into that program may well have no choice really than to participate and, and do what they're kind of told. I think in terms of the youth games, it, it was very much more seen in the decision um, as unlikely, uh, rightly or wrongly, that they would have been implicated already in, in what had happened. So I suppose in terms of proportionality of punishment, um, seen as unlikely that they would actually be covering um, athletes who had um, engaged in, in anti-doping. And I think there what you've raised um, is kind of more a question of, of how much of a deterrence would it be to prohibit them from competing anyway at this stage. And I'm not sure, as you say, if it is, you know, a lot of pressure coming from um, state sanctioned level, then perhaps that that deterrence, again, is not going to be particularly effective just by stopping people from competing in youth games now. So I think I can see why, um, why I said that that particular measure um, might not meet the two aims. But as, as you said, there's there's a much bigger issue there as to, you know, how do you um prohibit and deter when it might not be really the athlete that's kind of responsible or choosing to act in, in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I'm glad you've taken the time to go through it. But it's just a thought that struck me when I was listening. Mm. And the other thing that I suppose struck me when, it, when I was listening was Russia's argument that, that it wasn't bound by the 2018 rules. Mm. Um, can you say any more about how the, how the court dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, they both sides um, had sort of um, expert evidence from um, experts in international um, and, and contractual law. Um, and, you know, clearly that that is a sort of um, almost commercial and contractual issue, really. I think that the court was very persuaded by WADA's kind of all the evidence they brought back um, to, to say that that really it's not as if this is something that has been imposed. Um, we've taken acceptance, um, sorry, silence as acceptance, and now you're sort of caught by surprise um, and, and having to do something that you could never have foreseen. Um, because that was Rusada's argument was essentially that the, um, the code and the compliance, sorry, the sanctions and the powers that WADA had um, were unforeseeable compared to what was signed up to in 2003. And there are, there are the two strands, I think, that, that Cass really relied firstly on the conduct of Rosada to that point, which is that it, it had kind of acted as if it was bound for quite a long period of time. Um, it hadn't just sort of been surprised by this. It had gone along with things. It had um, <clears throat> sought to comply in a sense by providing Moscow data, uh, the limbs data, even though it was tampered with. And then the, the other side to that is that looking back at the purpose, the fundamental underlying purpose of the World Anti-Doping Code um, in terms of really eliminating doping in sport and giving WADA oversight of that, um, basically that they, they said that, that the, what is now being done in the, the 2018 code is not um, beyond the, the foreseeable um, view of, of what could kind of come later in the day. And as I said, they, um, Rosada had also accepted, even in these proceedings, that they were bound by, for example, the 2015 amendments, which don't go as, as far as um, the 2018 ones, but did give increasing powers to WADA in any sense. Great. Thank you. Well, I think perhaps 
one more substantive question as it were and, and, and then one to end on a slightly lighter note <laughs> Australia were annoyed clearly um, <clears throat> and the particular manif manifestation of their annoyance which struck me was that the sanctions were less severe than had been applied on individuals is there in your view a risk um, that these sanctions won't really um, deter in, in the long run uh, Russia or, or other states, um, given the fact that, that the states have, have been, or that the state of Russia rather, has been treated in, in some senses more favorably than, than an individual athlete? Yeah, I mean, I think given the history of this case and, and what's happened to 2014 and then again 2018, 2019, you know, I, I think you have got to question how um, effective the, the measures um, will be. And, you know, it is very difficult to know, obviously, when you've got such a wide ranging program and, and so many different kind of parties involved at such kind of high level, how you do stamp that out. I think in terms of sanctions against individual athletes, you're not being able to compete for, for a period of months, years, um, especially, you know, multiple years is sort of career ending. And it's much easier when you're dealing with one individual to, to think, okay, the impact on their reputation really um, and the impact on their career is going to be pretty huge. I think, you know, perhaps this is an instance where um, law, you know, struggles sometimes to deal with the much, much bigger issues. Um, so it's, it's probably better at dealing with individuals than really things that are audacity, as, as said, that's happening at, at this level. And as, as we can see from this case, unfortunately, um, everything that came up in, out in 2016 hasn't led to a change by 2018, 2019. So, yeah, I think, you know, that it's healthy to have scepticism about what the change will be going forward. And um, I suppose then the lighthearted one to end on. So <laughs> athletes can't compete for Russia, um, can't compete under the Russian flag, and they can't play the national anthem. Now, Russia it might be fair to say, understands mischief. I wonder what would happen if they played the Soviet anthem, different lyrics. Uh, and, and <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say what the, what the outcome <laughs> or what the sanction would be at the time, but, you know, we've seen in the in um, previous Olympics that, that, that neutral athletes did have to um, perform rather than for Russia. Um, I suspect the athletes themselves are just, you know, desperate to be able to, um, compete and to try and show that they individually are clean so I, I would doubt that would come from an athlete themselves but as you say who knows what the state might do <laughs> yeah who knows indeed well I mean ultimately the core of it is that, that we hope that the sport is as clean as possible and that all clean athletes are able to to compete fairly in, in the great exhibitions of of the Olympics Julia thank you very very much for uh, this fascinating podcast uh, You're welcome. here um and thank you all for listening thank you everyone <laughs>